You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've seen something strange, something paranormal, a cryptid like Bigfoot, a UFO, a ghost, or if you have a story you think we should cover, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. How are you doing tonight, Allison? I'm doing well. Well, this is going to be an episode that's a little bit different. I've done more research for this, I think, than any other episode save for the episodes that were based on my books because I do Mm -hmm. tons of research for those but for any like dedicated podcast episode I've done more research for this than any other episode it's going to be a little bit different but it covers a lot of the stuff that we cover it's ghosts it's weird history it's a little bit of true crime and it takes place for the most part throughout the 19th century covers just about 100 years It's related, in a way, to one of our past episodes, and I'll get into all that. But before we get moving with this episode, I do want to thank our patrons for their support. Thank you, patrons. Without you guys, we could not make Strange Familiars happen. If you like what we do, if you like the content we make and you want to get extra content, you can become a patron at Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. $3 a month gets you full extra episodes of Strange Familiars. We do at least one full episode for our patrons every month. Often we do more. Go to Patreon and see all the other levels of support there as well for things like t-shirts and copies of my books, CDs, and more. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon, you can make a one-time PayPal donation. Just go to the show notes for any episode at strangefamiliars.com and look for the paypal.me link. Click on that and you can make a donation there. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whatever podcatcher you use, and by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. So this is going to be one of multiple episodes. There's so much here. We don't know how many episodes this is going to be as we're starting out here. I know it's going to be at least at least two. It might be three or even four. I'm going to call it spring Jack and the Prowling Ghosts. So this starts as the Jumping Frenchman episode did with an email from a listener. This was from Alex B., who wrote regarding our Lee Master episode, The Earth Could Not Hold Me. So regarding the sinister Mr. Lee Master, a plastic skull seems fitting for a costume ghoul, 
Dressing up as a ghost and jumping out on folks was not an unheard of pastime. There's a book, Jacob Middleton, Spirits of an Industrial Age, Ghost Impersonation, spring Jack, and Victorian Society. That tome covers ghost impersonation from the 1790s to the 1890s. It was a thing. So our story of Lee Master, it was episode 150, The Earth Would Not Hold Me. If you haven't listened to that, you can go back and check it out. We tell the various stories about Lee Master and his ghost. He was a cruel Iron Master, one of these many cruel Iron Masters. That yeah, we, were there any nice ones? <laughs> so far, I think we found one. I forget which Iron Furnace he was associated with, but only one. Most only of them. good five-star reviews. <laughs> so he set up shop outside of Westminster, and uh, you know several ghost stories persist about Lee Master. Again, you can listen to episode 150 for more of that. But one interesting thing about him was it said he would dress up in a white sheet and hide in the woods and frighten his neighbors. Oh. <laughs> he would jump out from the woods and yell, Stick stuck. I don't know. I guess that was the... 1700s version of Boo. Oh, okay. Stick stuck. And now I thought that was an interesting detail, uh, given all the sort of postmortem ghost stories about him. You know, that he's appeared as a ghost all these times, mm-hmm. but even before he was dead, he was appearing as a ghost. I thought it was essentially just a quirky behavior that was his and his alone. I did not know about these people dressing up as ghosts in pre-Victorian and, and Victorian times in England. I thought that was very relevant. Alex's email talking about the plastic skull, you know how like he, a party skull. Yeah, like he yeah. was a he was a costume ghoul, and here we find a, a plastic skull. So it's extremely fascinating email, and I dove right into that book, "Spirits of an Industrial Age: Ghost Impersonation, Spring Heel Jack, and Victorian Society" by Jacob Middleton. And a lot of the information for this episode is sourced from that, but not all of it. And what he does is he goes into not just these sort of ghost stories but also kind of the societal reasons why they might be happening and, mm-hmm. so, and so forth. We're not going to get into that so much. We're going to be talking about ghosts. We're going to be talking, reading the stories, the actual accounts and so forth. More about what the witnesses saw and, and some of the ideas around them. But he defines prowling ghosts generally as there aren't passive entities like associated with a specific graveyard or church or something. They traveled and they seem to seek out victims to scare. But these are just people in costumes, right? So it seems. Oh, okay. They are thought to be costumes people, but very, very few of them were caught in the act. And the inter- so is this similar to like when we talk about the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition of like bell snickling and people dress up in costumes and... It seems to be less formalized than that. It, and this isn't like a Halloween or specific holiday? No, this is all related. times of year these oh, guys okay. are doing this. There were times where they seemed a little more active in the fall and winter and early spring as far as just the number of articles come from those times mm-hmm. but they they did happen all times of years but the interesting thing is while they do seem to be people in costumes for the most part some of these things are possessing abilities which seem beyond the natural human they're making superhuman leaps over walls they have glowing eyes they're they're being fired at by guns and with no effect People knew these were real people in there and they were still shooting at them? Well, no, they didn't know. They thought they were ghosts or something else. They were so scared that, you know, they were breathing fire. We will hear later, very late, one of the late stories in the late 1800s, there's a story where one of these ghosts, we'll call them, was sort of haunting a military base and they had to admonish the guards. Like, they said, do not fire on this. This could be a civilian. Mm -hmm. But go ahead and use your bayonet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't turn out well. But we'll hear that later on. So there was a distinction between your sort of traditional, you know, haunting ghosts that was associated with an area and these prowling ghosts. And the newspapers of the day, they decried them. They said these, like, they're kind of rude, these new ghosts. You know, they're kind of these modern ghosts. ghosts. Yeah, these (laughs) modern ghosts that they don't have the honor of these ancient phantoms, which would disclose buried treasure or just informed scared witnesses where their bones were and so forth these new phantoms were just rude and scaring people and harassing women and children and so they weren't foreshadowing of a bad event they didn't they weren't practical they weren't they were just for the fun of it in no way were they practical yeah so these so-called modern ghosts as they called them in the newspapers at the time they seemed to exist only to scare people and the papers noted they were often more of a curiosity than an object of Mm -hmm. fear some people were terrified of them Often they were more of a reported more as a curiosity. 
there was some in the very, very late 1700s, which would have, of course, been Lee Master would have fit in there. It's hard to find articles that far back. Yeah, I was going to say, like, this could have happened with more prominence, but um, there just wasn't an article attached to it, perhaps, right? Yeah, yeah. And but do it these seems... stories make, make the rounds within, like, traditional ghost stories that i don't know because i don't have a lot of like ghost books from england like Mm -hmm. you know ghost stories of london or anything like that i'm sure some of these do get turned into traditional ghosts over time and again one of the things we talk about often is when people go out to make something supernatural in other words many people have admitted to making crop circles Mm -hmm. but they also say when they go out there they would witness weird stuff happen all around them while they were making the crop circles. So it's almost like by participating in this sort of hoaxing or this, you know, you're participating in making the supernatural, you're bringing it around you as well. And I wonder if there's an element of that with these ghost stories. Did it start as a guy throwing a sheet over his head and then something else kind of comes around it? Even if it's just legend, even if it's just people seeing more because, you know, they know a ghost is out there Mm -hmm. or something. While there were some before, the first kind of real stir in this is something called the Hammersmith Ghost. So Hammersmith is a district of West London. And our first article comes from Kirby's Wonderful and Scientific Museum, Volume 2, 1804. This is a sort of early magazine. It would be filled with all these different articles and so forth. So far back as October last, it is well known that the first rumors of a ghost were in circulation in the neighborhood near the church, which is thus accounted for. It was then reported that a mad woman was in the habit of disturbing the neighbors by perambulating the churchyard and other walks in strange and uncouth dresses, which, after a little time, was discovered by Mr. Moody of the Six Bells, who well knew his face to be nothing more than a youth belonging to Mr. Kilberton, a neighboring butcher, who, by the way of frolic, and to plague the maid, his fellow servant, had dressed himself in her clothes, in which he frequently appeared in the churchyard and other places." Being reprimanded by Mr. Moody and others, and the ill consequences which might attend it, pointed out, he desisted from the practice altogether. Notwithstanding, another supposed phantom soon sprung up, and was seen all in white, at various places. This ghost also was so clever and nimble in its retreats, that they could never be traced till one evening, when one brazier, a chimney sweeper, going through the lower part of Church Lane, and the night being very dark, he was in his turnaround alarmed at the appearance of the supposed spectre. And as he related the story the next morning, it seems he stood still some moments before he durst proceed. However, having a stick in his hand, he extended it at arm's length, and advancing towards a tree against which he saw the object, he was induced to exclaim, Ghost, or whatever you may be, pray be civil. But as he still continued advancing with a slow pace, instead of penetrating a body of thin air, he found his stick in contact with the clothes of a female, who proved to be Miss G., a young lady of Hammersmith, with her companion. After this second discovery, nothing of the kind was seen or heard of in this quarter, excepting that it has been related by Thomas Groom, a servant of Messrs. Burgess and Winter, Brewers. He, a stout, able man, asserted for a truth that he related upon the trial of being nearly choked by the rude caresses of one of the phantoms which he met in the churchyard. He did not keep his bed, as it is reported in the newspapers, but he was several days before he got the better of the fright. An old proverb says, the third time generally pays for all. Accordingly, the next disturber of the peace made its appearance not in the churchyard, but in the lower down towards Beaver, Black Lime, and Plough and Harrow Lanes, which served it as a retreat when pursued from the high road. A drummer belonging to the Chiswick Volunteers, an inhabitant of Hammersmith, and a rat catcher by his profession, was one of the first that was panic-struck by the new specter. Back when rat catcher could be a profession. (laughs) The next was a clerk from Mr. Cromwell, the brewer, who thought he saw a supernatural appearance about five o'clock one morning in Plough and Harrow Lane, and was considerably alarmed. The pretended specter, on Thursday, the 29th of December, made a more public appearance. For as Girdler, the watchman, came out of the house of Mrs. Samuel, number two, Queen's Place, adjoining the Beaver Lane, an apprentice boy belonging to Graham, the shoemaker, ran across the road towards him, dreadfully frightened, at what he supposed to be a ghost. In consequence of this, the watchman, looking towards the opposite side of the road on the left hand of the pump, was witness to an object all in white. Approaching the spot where it stood, he observed some person divest himself of a sheet or tablecloth, he could not distinguish which, wrap it up under his coat, and run away. 
Being dark, this person was soon out of sight. Girdler followed, but saw nothing. He therefore went to the White Hart and inquired if any strange person had just come in there. While Girdler was going by, the pretended ghost, it is supposed, hid himself behind Mr. Hill's house. But leaving the spot in Girdler's absence, he was seen by some of Mr. Hill's family, who observed a corner of the cloth hanging below his coat. While he stood near the pump, he was also seen by a Mrs. Stewart and her servant at number four, Teresa Terrace, who were much alarmed, till it was generally known next day that the pretended ghost was an imposter. So as early as 1804, they know these are people in costume. Mm-hmm. So it was rumored that this was a ghost. Some people thought it was a ghost. Some people thought, you know, it's a guy in a costume. And they thought it was a man. It was the, the spirit of a man who had cut his own throat in the year 1800. And did a little research on that. This guy's name was Thomas Flynn. He was an Irish immigrant who married a Hammersmith woman. Uh, this woman left him due to his violent behavior. He tracked her down. She was living with her parents. He eventually broke into their house, attacked his wife with a fireplace poker, and fractured her skull. He believed he'd killed her. He didn't. She, she actually recovered. But he believed he had killed her, so he fled. And he was found in the middle of the highway, stabbing himself in the stomach with a knife. So right in the middle of the road. This didn't work, so he attempted to slit his own throat with a straight razor. He lingered in St. George's Hospital, they said, for two days. So he was able to even write letters to his friends. After stabbing himself in the stomach. And and finally cutting himself in the throat. Uh, But he did die after two days. But he was with it enough to write, like, farewell letters to his friends. So the coroner declared that because Flynn's death was a suicide, he was to be denied a Christian burial. So in 1800, if you committed suicide, you did not get a Christian burial. And he was to be buried under the highway. It's a pretty interesting story of itself, you know, taking the ghost out of the equation. The Irish community in the area kind of caught wind of this, and they gathered to protest outside the hospital. The hospital was next to an army barracks. They basically called out the army to take care of this gathering crowd, and they pushed the crowd back and stood in a ring around the burial site until the body could be interred. The army had to keep these people away while they buried this guy. I don't understand. Were they concerned that he wasn't getting a proper burial? Yeah, they, oh, okay. the Irish community had wanted him to get a proper burial. Oh, okay. This is from the Morning Post of London, January 6, 1804. The Ghost of Hammersmith. The attack upon the credulity of the inhabitants of Hammersmith and Turnham Green. Let's stop here for a moment and say there's a lot of towns and streets and roads in this that we're probably going to mispronounce. Mm-hmm. And we're going to apologize for that at the start of this. Throughout this series, we're going to do our best. I apologize to any English natives that are wincing at our pronunciations. This attack upon the credulity of the inhabitants of Hammersmith and Turnham Green has, for upwards of two months, excited so much alarm that every superstitious person in that neighborhood has been filled with the most fearful apprehensions. So terror-struck are the minds of the women and children that not one will venture over the threshold after five o'clock in the evening. And indeed, if we may credit public report, this ghost is the most mischievous spirit. Among his pranks, breaking windows, and even maiming several of the inhabitants are mentioned. The following facts will but exemplify how far he is a welcome guest. On the 15th of December last, about 10 in the evening, some servants belonging to a brew house in the neighborhood were returning with a friend from the outskirts to the town when they were met by the ghost dressed in what they described to resemble the height of a calf with a pair of enormously large horns and cloven feet. The men, not altogether liking the appearance of the intruder, turned about and ran off, but the ghost was too nimble for the drayman whom he overtook, seized him by the throat, and nearly choked him. The fright, together with the ill usage, threw the poor fellow into a fever, from which he has but very lately recovered. About a week since, the driver of one of the stages was proceeding down the lane near the Margrave of Anspatches, when he was alarmed by hearing an uncommon rustling noise. By a faint light from the moon, he saw what he described to be a strange creature, dressed in white, gliding over the adjoining meadow. The phantom approached very near to him, when he saw bladders affixed to his feet, shoulders, arms, body, and head, and the noise they made resembled the rattling of pence. The coachman was too much frightened to investigate the business any further. He got off his box and ran back into town, where he alarmed all whom he met by mentioning the circumstance about a dozen fellows proceeded with him to the spot where the coach and horses were left, found the traces cut and the horses grazing in an adjoining field. The ghost has hitherto appeared every evening in the churchyard, about half a mile from town, adjoining to which is a public road. He was seen on Monday evening last, pursuing a young woman who shrieked dreadfully, 
Although there were four male passengers in the stagecoach, which passed at the time, not one dares venture to the rescue of the distressed female. We have a very melancholy circumstance to add. The wife of a laborer in the town, far advanced in a state of pregnancy, saw this ghost, and her fright was so great that her life is despaired of. So another death is attributed to the ghost, or more accurately, to mistaken identity of this ghost. This is from the Ipswich Journal. That's from Suffolk, January 7th, 1804. The neighborhood of Hammersmith has been for several nights past alarmed by some idle or ill-disposed person who assumed the fancied appearance of a ghost. Not a young miss or an old maid could stir out at night, the one for an innocent game of whist, the other to see a lover without being crossed by the most obstructive and frightful apparition. The ghost, according to some, appeared in the likeness of Bonaparte, according to others, of a horse without a head, but the fact is, to all that really saw it, it was a tall figure in a white sheet. Many attempts were made to seize it, but it had one property of a ghost. It had looted the quick pursuit, and there was not a pair of heels in the parish swift, though, to overtake it. Encouraged by its success, it became of late more troublesome than ever, and a party agreed within these few nights to lie in wait for it. In this number was a man of the name of Smith. Not relying upon the means which nature formed, he armed himself with a musket, charged with powder and ball, and on Tuesday night took his station in Black Lion Lane, one of the places by which the ghost used to make its escape when hard-pressed by its pursuers. He had not been long in waiting when he fancied he saw the wished-for object. A figure dressed in white presented itself. Smith fired, and the supposed ghost fell to the ground. Upon examination, however, melancholy to relate, the body was discovered to be that of a young man of the name of Millwood, a mason employed in the new building going on in the neighborhood. He was a serious, sober young man and was returning from a visit to his wife, who lived at some distance from the scene of his industry, when his dress, a white jacket with the marks of his trade and spots of mortar and lime, represented him to the disordered fancy of Smith as the supernatural agency for which he was watching. All Hammersmith was on Wednesday in an uproar, with crowds pressing from town and even from Brentford and Illsworth to see the body. The ball entered the cheek and passed through the opposite side of the head. The deceased was a very young man and of an excellent character. His unhappy fate is much lamented. A coroner's inquest was yesterday held on the body of the unfortunate Millwood when the jury returned a verdict of willful murder against Smith, who was immediately committed to take his trial at the ensuing Old Bailey sessions. Yes. So Smith was tried and indicted for murder. And As he should be. You don't just get to shoot people because they're wearing a sheet. <laughs> In 1804, maybe you do, because he was sentenced to be executed, and part of the sentence was his body was to be dissected. So I don't know if that means they just give your body to the doctors then. Or more like a quartering kind of effect. Yeah, I'm not sure. But shortly thereafter, and they don't say why, but this appeared in the paper, he did receive His Majesty's free pardon. Oh, wow. So he was pardoned for the crime. He knew somebody. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Still in early January of 1804 here, on January 10th, Someone supposed to be the ghost was apprehended. So this is happening sort of at old Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So this is from the Morning Chronicle of London, January 10th, 1804. Last Thursday evening, an information was lodged before Mr. Hill, the magistrate, against housekeeper in the town of Hammersmith of the name Graham, a boot and shoemaker, who has a wife and three children for going out at night wrapped up in a blanket with the design to represent a ghost. Graham was consequently taken into custody and examined before the said magistrate, who, doubtful how to act with advice in such a case, has taken bail for Graham's appearance. Graham, when questioned by the magistrate as to the cause of his assuming such a frightful being, said he had done it in order to be revenged on the impertinences of his apprentices, who had terrified his children by telling them stories of ghosts. The alarm occasioned by these frolics has produced some fatal accidents. Women and children have nearly lost their senses. One poor woman in particular, who was far advanced in her pregnancy of a second child, was so much shocked at the supposed ghost that she took to her bed and survived only two days. She had been crossing near the churchyard about ten o'clock at night when she beheld something, as she described, rise from the tombstones. The figure was very tall and very white. She attempted to run, and the ghost soon overtook her, and pressing her in his arms, she fainted in which situation she remained some hours until discovered by some neighbors. The ghost had so much alarmed a wagoner belonging to Mr. Rassel, driving a team of eight horses, and which had sixteen passengers at the time, the driver took to his heels, that the poor wretch left wagon and horses so precipitately that the whole were greatly endangered. The ghost was not so mischievous as to cut the harnesses of the horses, 
as erroneously stated in some of the papers, neither man, woman, or child could pass that way for some time past, and the report was that it was the apparition of a man who had cut his throat in that neighborhood above a year ago. Several lay in wait different nights for the ghost, but there were so many by-lanes and paths leading to the hammersmith that he was sure of being on that which was unguarded, and every night played off his tricks to the terror of the passengers. So they caught this guy, and that's it, right? That's the end of the hammersmith ghost, because they caught him. But as these things go, it was not the end. That would be not the last of the hammersmith ghosts, and yes, ghost plural. So on December 6, 1824, these are years later, London's Morning Post printed the following article. This is 20 years later. Yeah. There is now a new Hammersmith ghost frightening the neighborhood, and the trick has been carried on for upwards of a month to the serious injury of many persons, however it may make the judicious laugh. Hammersmith and his neighborhood are peculiarly fitted for such an exhibition, as there are a vast variety of lanes in all directions leading to the walls along the banks of the Thames, to Shepherd's Bush, to Bradmoor, to Eton, and so that any person choosing to practice such a joke has the ready means of disappearing. In those different lanes and byroads, a tall figure dressed in white is in the habit of appearing and crossing the paths of females and suddenly disappearing, but it is limited to no other lanes and places already alluded to have been the scenes of its exploits. Many persons have been seriously alarmed by this figure, which is rendered of tall and theatrically appalling stature. On Friday last, the new ghost crossed the path of a female belonging to the Angel Public House in Angel Lane, Hammersmith, and such female was in consequence so ill that her life was despaired of by her friends, and down to the present hour she is subjected to constantly returning and dangerous fits. The ghost subsequently waylaid a hard-working man passing along the by-road from the Hammersmith Waterworks to the mall, and notwithstanding the unghostliness of such conduct, the humane ghost jumped upon the poor man's back, threw him down, and then vanished from him. But the joke ended not here. The poor man, by the fall, occasioned by the joke of the ghost, had his arm broken. These proceedings prove the substantial character of the ghost, naturally enough aroused the indignation of many of the inhabitants, and several of them arranged to await the visitation of this amiable personage, so adjusting circumstances that if the ghost appeared at all, it would have been rather difficult for its tangible qualities to escape the springs set for it. But the ghost has not since appeared. However, the woman and the man are still suffering for the ghost's tricks. Did this happen a lot where people got scared and then they just died? <laughs> well, I mean, you find this in these articles and in like the Wild Man articles I mm-hmm. collect. Like sometimes people are just, they say they were scared to death. Now, I don't know if that's like newspapers exaggerating mm-hmm. things or, I mean, again, I go back to like the Cottingly Fairy photographs. Like we look at those now and go, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like they're obviously cutouts or something. But a lot of people back then were like, well, it's on photographs, you know, they're real. I mean, they... So were people more naive back then? I mean, obviously some people knew these were people in costumes, you know? Or are they attributing something that happened to them later sort of retroactively as being the cause of the ghost in the same way, like if a woman saw a white mouse go by and then her child happens to have albinism, they attribute that that fright to being the cause of it. Is it sort of a retroactive scientific explanation for a terrible fit or some sort of... Yeah, I don't know. But that's a sort of a thing that you'll see again and again in these articles. People are, you know, either frightened to death or they're frightened, so they're very ill from being frightened. I do see it to me, and I don't know if this is someplace we're heading down a lane maybe, (laughs) but it seems like the interaction the ghosts seem to have with women are different than the interactions the ghosts have with women. We're very much headed there. Yes, you've picked up on a theme already here. Yes. Okay, so this new Hammersmith ghost was not just scaring people. He was earning the name of monster as well as ghost. And that's just like a euphemism for someone who's... Before these ghosts... These prowling ghost mm-hmm. stories. There was an earlier article that mentioned a monster. And this was, by all accounts, just a man. Mm-hmm. And he was, I think he was poking people with a sharp pointed object, women, mm-hmm. and uh, tearing their clothes and, and sta- you know stabbing them with this sharp pointed object. And he earned the name of monster. And a lot of times you will see monsters in the British papers. And that's what they're referring to. They're referring to men who attack women, basically. So the second Hammersmith ghost earns the name of Monster because of this. This is from the Morning Post, 
of London, December 31st, 1824, the Hammersmith Monster. Such has been the personage's conduct of late that he now has got the name of Monster instead of the comparatively more harmless one of the new Hammersmith Ghost. Not content with frightening women in lampless lanes, a sufficiently cowardly and cruel proceeding, he now rarely quits the terrified subjects who may happen to come in his way without scratching or seriously wounding them. The indignation that has been hence produced amongst the inhabitants, as may be imagined, but it is hardly possible to conceive how much alarm is occasioned amongst the females in the neighborhood. Several women have been so alarmed as to be seriously ill with fits, and etc., for many days afterwards. Others have been scratched or torn in the face, as if with hooks, and all are no little alarmed to go out after dark, except along the main road, even with protectors. Two or three nights ago, the monster made his appearance at Bradmore, which is at the back of Hammersmith and leading to Shepherd's Bush. It is open to the fields, many lonely paths leading to it, but as there are no lamps, any person may be soon lost in the surrounding darkness and elude the most vigilant pursuit by means of the different lanes and paths. He went to a small house kept by a gardener named White, opening the front door by lifting the latch. The wife was there, the front parlor being a species of Chandler shop, and she was not a little affrighted to behold in the doorway a strange and ghostly dressed figure with a large ugly mask and glaring eyeballs. Some flame was then emitted, after which the ghost exclaimed, Good night, farewell, and decamped with supernatural rapidity, according to the woman's disordered observation. The ghost afterwards came in contact with the man and extended the arms and caught the poor man's cheek as if with some hooked instrument fastened on the fingers, and then scampered off swiftly enough. Suspicion has been directed to a crazy sort of person who ostentatiously amuses himself with chalking on the gates and doors about Hammersmith diverse gloomy sentences such as, Be ye ready, prepare to die, your end is near, you're all lost sinners, and etc., only he is said to be an aged person, and the monster has much activity. Many sums have been offered up for the monster's apprehension, especially by persons of the upper mall, that being a favorite haunt, and several stout persons are regularly on the lookout. So once again, the poor crazy guy in the neighborhood is, is accused of any wrongdoing. But yeah, they, they make this distinction between the, the monsters and the ghosts as we go on here. So in late... December 1824, rewards were being offered, as noted in the previous article. So there's a, a man prowling around with a knife, basically. Well, he might he has some kind of claws attached to his hands, apparently. Oh, so, well, that's less scary. <laughs> this is from the Morning Post, again, from London, 27th of December, 1824. The Hammersmith ghost has been playing its freaks again. On Monday night, after frightening a female into hysterics, it attacked another whose clothes the lively and humane ghost tore from her person and scratched her face. Some gentlemen of Hammersmith have offered five guineas each to any person or persons who will secure the body of the ghost. Tearing of clothes, this will happen throughout the century as we go on here. These ghosts... Is that a euphemism for something worse that happened and they're just kind of hinting at some of the, the horrific nature of what's going on? I hadn't thought of that. I thought, like, that's literally all it was. It was someone, like, tearing their clothes and, and so forth. But maybe. I mean, if you got the name Monster, is that yeah. how you got that definition? Yeah, exactly. By the end of January 1825, the reward was increased to 20 pounds, which would have been a considerable award at that yeah, time. Yeah, going from a few guineas to 20 pounds in 1820s. Whew. This is from The Observer, January 31st, 1825, from London. The personage who has been styled the monster in consequence of having torn as well as frightened diverse females, resumed his many visitations during the recent dark nights. But with one exception, he appears to have most carefully avoided his old haunts, for the hint was taken, and many persons attired like women were on the watch. A purse of 20 pounds is stated to have been subscribed for any person who shall bring in the ghostly monster, dead or alive, of course. On one occasion, the ghost knocked at an old woman's cottage near Starts Green, leading to Acton. She opened the door when the white-sheeted gentleman presented himself in all of the mock horrors of his amiable amusement. She fainted away in consequence and has since been very ill. On another night he attacked an old woman passing up Angel Lane, where the servant of the Angel Public House was so repeatedly attacked, and which servant is now constantly the victim of fits. 
The old lady had a lantern with her. The ghost came behind her, made a groaning noise, tapped at the lantern, and etc. But she had the presence of a mind to avoid expressing any fear, pursuing her course without looking to the right or to the left, and only observing. You would not be base enough to hurt an old woman, would you? The ghost continued his tricks, but Dame was firm, and when she approached some houses at the end of the lane, the fellow retired. A few nights since, the apprentice of Mr. Hammond Smith and company, residing near Webb's Lane, Hammersmith, was passing up a lane near some newly built houses leading to the Hammersmith Waterworks close by, where Ghosty jumped upon the old man's back and broke his leg, and there the apprentice met with the ghost. The apprentice is a spirited lad. The ghost appeared to him to rise out of the ground, as he says, but having his thoughts directed to the glory of the transaction and perhaps the reward, he boldly attacked the ghost, threw at him first the basket of goods which he had on his arm, and then seized hold of the mantle, which the lad says had a silky feel. There was much tugging between them, and at last Ghosty gave the lad a violent blow on the back of the neck and laid him sprawling in the road, thus disengaging himself, and then hastily decamped. The lad was soon afterwards picked up by some neighboring people and conveyed home, but he has since shown no disposition to go out at night, lest he should again encounter the ghost's strong arm. A man residing in Hammersmith also came in contact with Ghosty one night and got struggling for mastery when Ghosty settled it by giving the man a blow which leveled him with the earth, after which the nocturnal agitator was enabled to escape. It was rumored that he had been seized one night in Kensington, that he was discovered to be a nobleman's son, whereupon the matter was hushed up, and that he was playing these pranks for a bet, having wagered that he would walk as a ghost for a certain number of nights without being taken or laid. If this were true, the capture would decide the wager, but unfortunately for its truth, he has since appeared. That's another thing that, that you'll see throughout this. They think they're noblemen's sons that well, are doing Well, that's even what, I mean, I think we're probably leading to Whitechapel eventually, but... Yes. Uh, I was like, oh, this sounds so much like I thought we were, you know, already diving into the 1880s. <laughs> no, we got a long way to go before that. There's there's a lot to cover. But there's this idea that they're noblemen's sons. I don't know if it's like that they're bored, you know, mm-hmm. rich boys. Uh, there's a certain marquee that they accuse of doing this. He was kind of this roused about kind of, you know, known about town guy. And uh, he's actually accused of, of being some of these at some point. It's one of these prowling ghosts. So there's this sort of suspicion of the upper class the upper is coming class. to like slum it in their neighborhoods and play tricks on them, kind yeah, of. Yeah, possibly. Now they do catch a few of these guys, and they're never these upper class guys. The ones that they do catch. No, in fact, I think like the the reality of it is that most of the time, people are very comfortable in their own neighborhoods. That's where they have the best chance of getting away because they know the area so well. Right. Right. It is interesting, though, as regards these wealthy people, because Lee Master was very wealthy. Mm-hmm. And it was said that he was dressing as a ghost. So very, very interesting. On February 25th, however, the supposed ghost was caught, this Hammersmith ghost. Now, are they thinking this is the same ghost from 20 years ago, or they're thinking these are, this is a new appearance, this ghost we've been talking about? I think they believe it's a, a new ghost. That's why they're calling him the new Hammersmith ghost. And he was not upper class <laughs> but a simple farmer. Okay. This is from the Morning Post of London, February 19th, 1825. The person who has so long infested the neighborhood of Hammersmith and Fulham in the character of a ghost wearing a white sheep and fur cap on horseback was on Tuesday night taken by Mr. Worsley of Fulham after a severe scuffle and on the following morning was examined before Mr. Hanson, the magistrate, when the facts were clearly proved. On being asked what he had to say in defense of his conduct, he declared the only meant it as a joke. The magistrate, however, thought the offense sufficient for a jury and offered the prisoner to find bail. The prisoner is a respectable young man. His name is John Benjamin, and he describes himself as a farmer and hay salesman residing at Alperton in the parish of Harrow. So they call it the Hammersmith ghost. See, I doubt that. (laughs) They never really... You can't keep a good ghost down, though. So the Hammersmith ghost returned for a third time, eight years later, December 13th, 1833. The London Times reported this. Resuscitation of the Hammersmith ghost. It is in the recollection of most of our readers that about eight years since, much excitement was created by a report that a ghost had appeared to a number of persons in the neighborhood of Hammersmith, several of whom, more particularly female, against whom he appeared to have great animosity. 
had been much frightened and ill-treated by him. After continuing his freaks for some time, he became so troublesome that the parochial authorities adopted measures for his apprehension, and after watching him for some nights, he was taken in one of the lanes, attired in full ghostly costume, and was sent by the magistrates to the House of Correction to undergo a little wholesome discipline for his pranks. Since that time, nothing has been heard of his ghost ship until about six weeks ago when he reappeared in the lane at North End, and it was reported that he has been seen subsequently in Webb's Lane, Hammersmith, and Acton, but the principal scene of his adventures is stated to be the mud huts in Chiswick Lane, and that the servant of Mr. Scott was attacked by him there, his assaults as before being directed against females. On Saturday night last, it was currently reported that he had been taken by the police to Acton, attired in a large white dress with long nails or claws, by which he was enabled to scale walls and hedges for the purpose of making himself scarce when requisite, and that when brought to the station house, he proved to be a celebrated captain of sporting notoriety. Several of the inhabitants attended the Hammersmith Petty Sessions on Monday in hope of obtaining an audience of the spiritual incognito when it was found that the statement of his apprehension was premature. Another report states him to be dressed in armor and that he has laid a wager that will strip the clothes off a certain number of females in a given time and that he has now only one more to strip to win the bet. It is hoped that the police will put a stop to the pranks of his ghost ship previous to him completing his task that he may receive a proper reward for his exertions. So this is something, too, that'll come in the other articles, that he has some sort of tech, we'll say, these ghosts, some way to escape. In this case, it's claws that allowed him to scale walls. It's not just, like, poor detective skills <laughs> on the part of the... It, I don't know, but again, this is just... That's the only way they could possibly elude capture. Yeah, exactly. That he's, like, so well entrenched in the society already that he just blends right in and they don't suspect him. Right, right, exactly. It's that he has claws. He has some sort of tech... They're attributing tech, you know, of the time, of some sort, some sort of claws or climbing things, and not any kind of supernatural powers mm -hmm. to him. So this third Hammersmith ghost was never caught, however, to my knowledge. Seems like he made a brief appearance and then uh, was gone. But by 1824, these prowling ghosts were not just haunting London. was also a prowling ghost in Hampshire. One description from the Hampshire Telegraph read, a tall man dressed in a rough frieze coat with a mask on his face representing the head of a swine. He threw open his upper garment and showed his body clad in a tight white jerkin with ribs and all the paraphernalia of death traced on him with phosphorus. After revealing himself, the ghost darted off with great swiftness. So there's apparently more than one ghost in the area because March 25th, the Hampshire Telegraph printed this article about an unfortunate death caused by another ghost. Green Lane, South Sea, on the body of Mary Ann Cavanaugh, very far advanced in pregnancy, who on Wednesday evening, from her alarm at the report that a ghost had been seen near the house, was seized with convulsive fits and became insensible till the next evening when she died. Verdict in each case, died by the visitation of God. The inhabitants of South Sea have lately been greatly annoyed, and the female part much alarmed by the nocturnal pranks of some idle thoughtless fellows who have assumed the appearance of a ghost. On Wednesday evening, about eight o'clock, the inhabitants of Green Lane were called to their doors and windows by a number of children shouting, Here comes the ghost! And down stalked a tall figure covered with a sheet. Two boys, more bold than the rest, pulled the sheet off the figure when it appeared that one Thomas Ware, an apprentice to a shoemaker, had got another lad on his shoulders, who slipped down and ran away. The alarm occasioned by this foolish prank was the cause of the poor woman's death mentioned above. Ware has since been apprehended for an assault on one of the boys. So another sighting in March 1825 had a witness see a tall, dark figure throw open, and this is a quote from the Hampshire Telegraph, what he supposed to be a cloak and discovered an appearance intended to be a skeleton with glaring eyes. The ghost in that encounter seemed to be working with some robbers. He scared them and then some, some, he's always working with people who tried to rob the guy, but the witness fought them off with a stick. The Hampshire ghost didn't make another appearance until December 1825, when a man encountered someone wearing what was described as a skeleton underdress late one night. How do you get one of those? I don't know. It seems like they were painting them on their clothes at the time, from what it says. With phosphorus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, very, very interesting. In January 1826, the Hampshire Telegraph reported a mob had captured a man they believed to be the ghost in question. 
A most violent assault was committed on Monday evening on the person of a gentleman of great respectability, holding a commission in the army, whom a parcel of the rabble chose to consider the ghost that had excited so much attention of late. They first seized him, treating him very roughly and searching him for the evidences of his ghost ship, then went and knocked up first the keeper of the bridewell and then the mayor, disturbing half the town. The arrival of the evil power only procured the liberation of the gentleman. So I don't know whether people are reading these articles and thinking, good idea, or if this is something that was sort of like a a cultural meme that was happening, but these ghosts start popping up now in other places. Is it just a way to avoid being apprehended for your naughty deeds? We'll get into that later. (laughs) Quite possibly. Quite possibly. So on January 22nd, 1826, the London Observer reported this. Remarkable ghost, Newport, January 14th. The person who has been exhibiting himself with a mask and etc. at Southampton and Lymington has reached the island and is making his terrific appearance almost nightly on the mall near this town, which has caused great consternation and been the means of frightening into fits several persons who are, in consequence, lying dangerously ill. He has also been playing off his pranks at other little villages near. He has been shot at by two or three individuals, but is found to be invulnerable, being enveloped, it is said, in steel armor and a pair of spring boots the latter of which are so constructed as to allow him, with a little exertion, to vault over a ten-foot wall. Oh, so the boots literally have springs in them. This is what they're saying. They're, they're giving this guy this tech, apparently, you know, which really isn't available at the time. But they're, you know, he's... So maybe he really does have parents of nobility that died, and he watched them die, and then he became... <laughs> but, I mean, also he's wearing this, you know, steel armor that makes him bulletproof... So is this like the, is this where superheroes start? It really is. Later in time, we, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it it really is kind of the birth of superheroes in a way. But uh, you know, it's it's doubtful that either of these things would have worked. You know, armor to stop a bullet. Yeah. Or spring boots. It's just it's doubtful that that they would have worked at all. But yet they're trying to figure out how this person could do these you know superhuman deeds and so forth. So there's yeah. If it isn't a ghost, if it is just a person in a sheet, there's got to be a reason why he evades capture. Right, because there's the idea that we're in the 19th century now. We're not superstitious people. Science is going to explain that this. We're going to figure this out, and so there it must be tech. It must be some kind of tech that this guy is using to accomplish these feats. But when they catch these guys, they're always like. You know, like a shoemaker or somebody, you know, like tradesmen. They're not people who would have like... Yeah, it's not Sherlock Holmes or, yeah. you know, with some steampunk inventor. Or something <laughs> yeah, like that. exactly. So I grew up with what I consider to be a perfect dog who started as a perfect puppy. His name was Barney. He was my best friend, quite literally, growing up on the farm. And I can't tell you how that happened. But I know it was about relationships. And I know we had a really good relationship. And I know you want a relationship with your dog if you want a perfect puppy. And we're talking with Tina from 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. How can you help people develop this relationship, Tina? Kind of like you and Barney did. One shared moment at a time. It's about building connection and helping that puppy get to know you like a perfect pair of jeans the same way that you're learning who that puppy is and helping them be super comfortable being in connection with you. I don't think, honestly, that the average family cares if their dog walks in heel position. They care, does their dog fit into their family as a full member and that The puppy is a soft place for them to land, and they're a soft place for the puppy, too. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You want to go to sithappens.us and look for that 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. Raise a Scooby-Doo, not a dog man, with 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. So I think that's where we're going to leave off for this episode with the Prowling Ghosts. We will return with more. And we're still, what, 50 years away from Jack the Ripper? 
Yes, we have a ways to go. There's a lot, a lot of ghosts, a lot of people doing this, a lot of strange reports and so forth. Yeah, when people always say like things were so much better, people were more civilized, there was more morality in the old days. These are fiends. And the cases get more troubling in some ways, I think, Mm -hmm. as we go on. I think some of these earlier ones were just maybe having a laugh, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were scaring people to get a rise out of stuff and they get a little more concerning i think at some point and it almost seems like on the part of i forget which particular ghost it was that there's a bit of like a a taunting to see how much you can get away with aspect of it yeah first i'll I'll do this then i'll poke a little bit more and then i'll see if i can take some clothes off and then i'll see if i can scratch somebody and right and you kind of can tell what's building here yes and that is coming unfortunately All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with more ghost stories next time for photo of the week. What do we have here, Allison? Shoemakers building on the only thing since we don't have a lot of ghost photos. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I would uh, pull something from the stories tonight. These are men at work. Occupational photos. Occupational photo. Yeah. Slightly tinted sort of um, turn of the century photo of men inside their workshop that are shoemakers. So is this still a cabinet card? considered or is this just no, a mounted photo yeah this is a mounted photo so Good. it's a little bit later this is more, more turn of the century a, a cabinet card is a mounted it's a specific size that was yeah. that what makes it a cabinet mm-hmm. card so this is later than that this is what turn of the century mm-hmm. time so photo of the week some shoemakers if you look in the show notes under this episode you'll see a picture of it you can click on that it'll take you to our etsy shop where you can purchase the photo Start a whole collection. It's a whole subgenre of collecting occupationals. So, there's some really cool ones. Though. Yeah, there are some really really neat ones. I think. And uh, um, obsolete occupations. <laughs> do you still have the pipe fitter? Or yeah, the, I do the have plumber? a plumber. Yeah, I have a plumber. That's a really cool tin type you have, and some other ones that are just really really neat to see. Kind of people in their their yeah. workwear and their accoutrements of whatever their employee was. Uh, again, photo of the week takes you to our Etsy shop, and you can buy this one, or you can buy previous photos of the week. A few of them are left. Thank you guys for doing that. It's a cool little way to support the show and start a collection. So check that out. Friday, May 1st, Bandcamp is waiving their fees for artists, so it's a great time to help out any artists on Bandcamp. During the COVID-19 lockdown, a lot of people are hurting. So it's a great time to support artists, including Stone Breath. We have our Bandcamp. It is stonebreath.bandcamp.com, as you often hear me mention at the end of shows. Besides Bandcamp waiving their artist fees, we're also running a sale. If you enter the code MAYDAY, all lowercase letters, all one word, you will get 15% off your order at the Stone Breath Bandcamp. Again, that's stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Before we go, I want to thank Tristan D. for the PayPal donation. Thank you very much. It's always a big help with those. We will be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can also join the Strange Familiars Gathering group. And we're on Instagram at strangefamiliars.
project now at menards we have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat right now all fvp lawn and garden and marine batteries are on sale through may 5th check out our entire selection of fvp batteries today and view our weekly flyer on menards.com for more great deals Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.